When it comes to restaurants, one thing that I really appreciate is when a place is consistent and delicious. I think that uh, having any chance of being disappointed, uh, I don't I don't tolerate that anymore, which is why I enjoy Dunstan Tap and Table. Uh, they are right in Scarborough, in the kind of Scarborough-Saco border on Route 1. And actually, you might have missed, you might have dr- driven by and not even seen it there. Uh, you got to kind of take a right, and it has its own little village kind of popping up around it. But Dunstan Tap and Table just, I guess you could call it... It's sort of that American comfort food, you know, pub food, but it's just done really well. And it's, you know, I know you hear that about a lot of places, but seriously, like I've never had anything there that I, I didn't enjoy. Um, I talk about the wings a lot, uh, which are delicious, but uh, everything I've had there from the, you know, the mussels to the the pizza. Uh, occasionally you'll see they have, uh, I mean, they have you know, Mexican food like burrito tacos and fish tacos. I mean, it's just a... It's a place you can kind of order around the menu and feel pretty confident about it. A lot of times you run into a menu that has a wide range of things and you're like, okay, I should stick to the burger because it's not going to be safe to journey outside of that. But uh, that's why I love this place. Uh, Owners are fantastic. Uh, Great staff. It's just very open. I mean, it's just like one of those. It's just easy. You know, you want some place you could actually bring, you know, if somebody's like up your ass about wanting to go to like Applebee's or chilies you can be like you know what? let's go someplace good but you like that kind of food let's go have that food done really well dunstan tap and table is at six stewart drive at dunstan crossing in scarborough maine uh, you can check them out at dunstan tap and table.com that's d-u-n-s-t-a-n-t-a-p-a-n-d-t-a-b-l-e dunstan tap and table.com uh they are closed on mondays and tuesdays uh, Wednesday through Saturday, 1130 to 9, Sunday, 1130 to 8. And of course, that's as of this recording. But uh, also, there's plenty of parking. So bring all the cars you want. There's all the parking you could ever imagine. Uh, Dunson Tap and Table. Uh, one of the joys uh, of eating that is often overlooked is having amazing plates and bowls to enjoy your food off of. Um, adds to the dining experience. Again, most people these days you go and there's like, here, here's a rectangular uh, metal uh, slab that looks like you might be served uh, food in prison on. Uh, and you can enjoy this and it's trendy. And, you know, I'm not into that. So uh, when we put this show together, uh, more specifically, when we do uh, Fukoma, My 70s Kitchen, our, our cooking show, uh, we wanted some, we wanted to partner with someone who made really unique you know, eye-catching, memorable plates and bowls. So uh, we went with Edgecombe Potters. Uh, they're, I mean, they're a main staple at this point. I mean, they've been around for a while. Uh, if you live in Maine, you've probably seen some of their pieces. They're all just really, really unique looking. If you want to check them out for yourself, you can go to edgecombepotters.com. That's E-D-G-E-C-O-M-B-P-O-T-T-E-R-S, edgecombepotters.com. Uh, they have stores in Edgecombe, Maine, surprise, surprise, uh, Portland, Maine, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and Bar Harbor, Maine. You can check the website for the specific store hours and where you want to go. Uh, if you have seen, I will say that their their coffee mugs at this point, they're kind of, a, I think they're, they're, they look like they have whale tails, basically, on them, and they are iconic at this point. I mean, it's one of the most recognizable mugs I think I've ever seen anywhere, so... 
definitely go check that out. Edge Compotters. If you watch our show, if you watch My 70s Kitchen, uh, you're going to see a lot of our dishes plated on plates and bowls from Edge Compotters. And welcome to the Food Coma Podcast. Uh, I am here today with Chef uh, Annie Maley. Hi. Hi. How, how are you? Doing? <laughs> <laughs> I am great. Um, we've actually already had half an episode of a conversation before we've even started this. I know. So we, have we not been rolling this whole time? We haven't. With oh. All this gold. But I mean, it, actually, have we been recording, Chris? <laughs> it's like, nah. But if we circle back, it's That's fine. all right. We're going to talk about That's all this all right. stuff again. So. Yeah. You are you have uh, been working in kitchens, but specifically uh, boat kitchens for mm-hmm. a really long time. You started working in the mess kitchen of. Uh, I started on the Stephen Tabor. So when I graduated from college, my first job out of college, much to my parents' delight, was on the Stephen Tabor, which is one of the main windjammers that sails from Rockland. And um, I thought, all right, I'm just going to do it for summer. That's it. And then I thought, okay, I'll just do it for two summers. And the second summer I was a deckhand. And then by that time, I loved it. And I also fell in love with my husband. So I loved him. On the boat. Yeah. He was yeah. one of the first people that I ever that I ever met um, when I came to Maine. That's convenient. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. And so then um, third summer, I was the cook on the Victory Chimes, another windjammer in that fleet. And, um, and then I came ashore, M- my husband stayed on boats and I came ashore and really started to develop my craft and my, um, my training in cooking. So I could do, th- I knew I could make food taste good. Um, but I didn't always know the rules, um, that I could break and the rules that I had to follow to make something come out every single time religiously. I knew it was going to come out every time. That's what separates the home cook from the professional Exactly. Cook, yeah. I, needed to, I needed to know that. So I just d- started developing that craft. Chops is what... Yes. Yeah, that's what Carrie it. calls Carrie Altiero yeah, earning, from Cabernet calls bones, it. Yeah, I do you think have your chops? Call it, yeah, yeah, also. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but you... In which... We're going to discuss, you actually have a cookbook that just came out, uh, the Tiny Kitchen cookbook, mm-hmm. uh, and this ties directly into your, you've got your start in very tiny kitchens and boats cooking, right. and even on the, your, the current, the, the, uh, is it the J&E Riggin, yeah, uh-huh. I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> the J&E Riggin, uh, you work in what, a six by eight kitchen yeah. space? Yeah, I can stand in my galley. What was, you know, I have to say, I could stand in what was my galley. I'll, I'll talk about that in a okay. second. Yeah. But I could put my hand on one um, bulkhead and touch the um, other side of the, the galley, and that was it. Mm-hmm. And I could not, um, if I turned and went, um, you know, turned 90 degrees and did the same thing, then I was whacking my mess cook in the face. So r- literally, there there was no room. Yeah, it's like a synchronized dance, basically. Oh, definitely. I mean, even more so than in any restaurant kitchen, which is always you're always dancing, right, and moving and aware of where everyone is. Yeah. Oh, the even fire more and so. The knives and yeah. right. Yeah. Exactly. Hot. And yeah. Plus, and also, the... what if there's weather and the boat is? You're being, you're being reminded that you're on a boat. <laughs> right. So then you add to that a wood stove, and that it the your kitchen actually tilts a good bit of the time. 
or maybe a lot <laughs> of the time, and then um, the weather on top of that. Yeah, wow. it's a challenge. I mean, that's that's a pretty big deal. Like already trying to handle everything you just mentioned: tiny kitchen, one other person, heat, fire, you know, heat, fire, knives. And now we're gonna go ahead and take it, and it's like it's an American Gladiator kind of stuff. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna take your kitchen and we're gonna move it around and rotate it and put it up in the air, and you know, right. like that's crazy. I mean, that's yeah, it's hard. It's hard. So I would, my, you know, I had strategies around that, which was um, primarily I'd wake up ridiculously early to get most of my stuff, um, my baking done before we got underway. I could do stuff on top of the stove before we got underway, but I wanted most of my baking done so that if we started leaning my, you know, half my pie wasn't out the, you know, on the stove floor kind of thing or even falling out of the oven which also is a you know every once in a while a deal so um and then we'd anchor every night so once we anchored i i mean we'd be down there and you know even just chopping down there when we're moving around was we needed to be smart about it so as good as you are with knife skills as soon as you start adding motion to it um that gets (laughs) Yeah, you think? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. So then we'd anchor every night, and I'd go back at it, and whoosh, more food. And we'd, you know, it was breakfast, lunch, dinner, appetizers, and dessert every time, fresh baked goods and all that. And so cooking on all electric or gas? No, or? it's a wood stove. Oh, right, you said wood stove. Yeah. Right. So that oh, also has more, its, yeah. its challenges, but also um, there's such... There's such uh, beauty and um, flavor that can come from wood heat, as you know, lots of folks have put wood-fired ovens in their restaurants, right? But it also comes with more tending and just a different way of modulating your heat. So instead of turning a burner up or down, you're just moving things around the stove. You're moving the pots and pans rather than keeping the pot on the same burner and turning the burner up and down. And you're on a wooden boat also, right? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So, you, I mean, there's a safety thing as yeah. well. So it's surrounded by um, steel, um, pl- you know, plates and stuff like that that protect the all the wood that... Yeah, I'm just... My, my mental picture is, like, totally different. It's just this massive fire pit in the middle of a boat kitchen, you know? Just no, no, like, enclosed, yeah. enclosed. I mean, we have wood We have wood heat in Maine. We're not... We're not you know how to use that. Yeah. yeah. So it's the same thing on a wooden boat. Nice. Only with the moving. <laughs> Again, I mean, I feel like no matter how much we discuss sort of your development as a cook and as, as a chef, like... Getting your start dealing with that, I mean, that puts a leg up on most on most people. I, I mean, just thinking about it makes me dizzy. Yeah, there's a certain amount of, um, I think, just core um, mental strength that comes yeah. from dealing with all those. Core the whole time. I yes, would to that's keep true. Balance. Physical, yeah. Yeah. but also it's a mental um, exercise. In okay, this is what I'm dealing with now. That's all right. I got this. Okay, here we go. Next thing, and I got that too. And the other piece is that I'm doing that in front of all of our... I'm doing it in front of 24 guests. So, oh, so the kitchen was open? Yes. Oh, the, okay. the, I, was um, about, I was about to ask that. Actually. Right. So the galley is its own little space. And then the um, salon area where everyone would sit and or gather. Um, it's like our main gathering place was right there. So I could look over a sort of half wall and chat with all of our folks. But that means that... I'm in hospitality mode all the time. Not, you can't lose your, you can't, there's no, 
flying off the handle, lose your composure no. kind of deal. Which is, it's, I guess, good that you have to, it keeps you in that mode. I think it's all good. And, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, I've also, it never goes well. You know, right. when you're in, even if you can let loose like that, you know, I've worked for chefs who have been able to, like, just <laughs> let well, loose. And yeah. it, it's not, one, it's not attractive. And nope, it's not. it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't contribute to the team at all. Oh, it just derails everybody it, for yeah. like 10, 15 minutes. And I mean, right. It doesn't sound like in the kitchen, there's not even any space to wind up and throw a pan. No. You know, you're not even getting that much leeway. You know, like you can't even <laughs> get the pan back. You know, if you sort of hit the wall, it's like, <laughs> right. so what are you going to do? Right, right. Yeah. Now, what did you, um, in terms of the clientele on the boat and their expectations, did you, I mean, was it, could they kind of see what you're dealing with and there were a little more leeway there? I mean, and, and what kind of, what sort of, um, I guess, what were some of the criteria for food that you're going to prepare on a boat compared to, you know, food you're going to prepare in a yep. restaurant on the land that's not moving? All right. So first, uh, the first question, what about our guests who were, um, our folks were always, so the kind of um, vacation that we offered is rustic, right? Mm -hmm. And so... It, we, it weeds out a certain sort of person. Like we set the expectation and we set the tone when we're talking with people on the phone and they are doing their research online and they're looking at our social media. And so they get a sense that, okay, this is like camping on the water. So a certain person's going to be attracted to that and there might be a, other people not attracted to that. And that's perfect because then we've got this core group of people who love exactly what we're doing and what we're offering. So we've like niched ourselves and said, this is what we do and we do it really well. Yeah. And the folks coming to us have said, and that's exactly what I want. And to get a feel for it, just the, the boat had 11 cabins, right? Right. So, so it's a big boat. I mean, it's not a, I mean, just right, for, I mean, not if, you're, if you're listening, it's not a tiny boat. Right. So she, is 120 feet long, 89 feet on deck, six crew members, including my husband and I, and then our daughters also were, um, they grew up on the boat, so they were in and out of all of the responsibilities connected. Yeah, it's a gaff rig, bald-headed, two-masted schooner. Listen to you. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. uh, you know, so, me, uh, me just let me ask you, what does bald-headed mean? <laughs> I mean, I don't like to share it. Sailors don't share. There's no secrets among sailors, but people listening aren't sailors. They can't know the secret, you know? That's just how That's I do great. it. I'm very old school when it comes to my, my nautical uh, awesome. nautical um, sense of decorum. You know, that's... Don't want to share. All right. So should I elaborate on you what You can elaborate. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So bald-headed means she doesn't have any top miss or top sails. All that stuff aloft and above means that she's got a simple rig. Gaff rigged means that she's got four-sided sails and she's one of those traditional looking um, boats, kind mm -hmm. of, uh, think tall ship. She looks mm -hmm. a little bit more like that than she does like the sailboat that's in all the, you know, like weekender sailboats that are in the harbor. They like have the wind jammer. And so is that the ones that the, the schooners that they yep. do the events on in the Portland harbor? Um, I don't know whether those... Oh, no, it's Windamine, like, um, I think. Is so, called. yeah, Windamine and um, Bagheera and yep. Timberwind, those ones. whom John and I used to own Timberwind oh, for okay. a brief well, time. So go. that Perfect. kind, exactly those kind of boats. Yep. Yes. And then, um, what was the other term that you used? Oh, two-masted. Two-masted. Yeah, which is Two-masted, that's obvious. So there's two sticks that right. stick up in the air, not one right. and not 
several. It's like I always tell my crew, two masts, you know, that's, I prefer a two masted <laughs> experience. Do you? I do. Uh-huh. I just feel that it's better for more control and aesthetic. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's really something else, you know, like, like I said, I don't want to, I don't want to confuse you with a cut of my jib. Um... <laughs> Okay, so wait, Ahoy. you asked me. <laughs> okay, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty much when it comes to when it comes to all this, I'm more on the level of like a Bob Wiley uh, than anything else. So you kind of tie me up. I'm sailing. Tie me to the one of the masts, preferably two. You know. Well, not everybody's good at everything. I, you know. I try, but yeah. Yeah, it's know, all right. It's it, all yeah. good. I do. <laughs> Yeah, the motion thing would be would certainly be a challenge for me. I also one thing I find about um, no matter how enjoyable a boat is when you go out and and you anchor somewhere and you're making the food and and next thing you know somebody's like oh I like swimming and they always tell you that it's easy to get back on the boat and mm. you're like oh I'd like to go swimming right now mm. <laughs> and they, they you look at the ladder that is you're supposed to use to get back mm. up and at the time it seems like okay it's just a ladder I know how to use a ladder. Um, this one time stands out to me. I was in Bar Harbor with uh, with Joel, who's been on the show with my co-host on Food Coma TV, and friends of ours. Beautiful boat made this like you know mussels and lobster rolls for lunch, and it was like this you know we were we were we were in like Southwest Harbor, I think. And pretty, we went to go swimming. The water was very cold. This was like I feel like it was like May. Water Ooh, was it was really pretty cold. cold. Yeah, so I get in, and of course my friend who's like tall and skinny, like he just immediately gets out and I'm like oh, okay so this is so I, I go to use this ladder mm-hmm. and it becomes apparent to me that like literally if I pulled myself up on this ladder like my triceps would literally pull out of my arm mm-hmm. like there's no way I can hoist myself up breaking that surface tension pound. yeah I uh-huh. was like so then you have that moment where you're very self-conscious you're like I'll just stay in I'll just I stayed in for like a half an hour just, just sort of thinking it, thinking oh. it through, and I, I mean, every now and then you try to go over and use the ladder casually again, so nobody sees you. But then you're like, nope, still can't do. Not this. happening. Yeah. So they eventually um, had to hoist me out of the water with like the pulley thing, like a tuna fish. And there were lots of other boats watching um, that I gave a little a show to. But yeah, I, I just it's one of those things where you just like, you know what? Uh, I have to accept that I have no control over this and just go with it yeah. and enjoy it. And right, the fact that right. everybody was clapping as I got lifted out of the water. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm this fully. You had a team. Yeah. And the whole time I was like, well, at least I don't have hypothermia. Yeah, this could have gone much worse, I think. Oh my gosh. But boy, I, um, we've had some, you're, that's I'm not n- alone. No, you're not alone. We've had some guests who have struggled with that very thing. Those things are, I don't, get, a, I don't get it. I don't know how, why don't they longer? I don't understand. Like they have a long one just for while you're anchored. You but know, see, like, even if it's longer, well, I suppose if it was longer and straight, but um, the, even the longer and yeah. straight down, I think the weight of a person pushing, you know, legs pushing against it, those yeah. ladders aren't that strong. Right. I mean, so. an escalator would be preferable. Yeah. Right. Or some kind of like lift, <clears throat> dumbwaiter, something. Waiter, something. <laughs> something. Yeah. I mean, I found the pulley system. Thank God. <laughs> you know, maybe they didn't even know they had that capability. But yeah, no, I don't understand how if you weigh anything over like 110 pounds, how you're supposed to use that thing to get out of the water. Yeah. It's that's a. Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. It's only happened to me twice. That time, another twice? time, I had to. I had to twice. I, well, the other time we were on a houseboat, and it seemed innocent enough, and then I ended up having to like go all the way around and like walk, come out of the water, and like the working, like on the like the boat ramp and stuff in front of all these people working. I just come out of the water with my bathing suit on, and, like walk through town back to where I was, <laughs> because that's just what I do. You that know, it was easier though. It was. It, it was also emotionally difficult at, at times, but I worked through it. And it just makes me a stronger person today. Because you're a today. resilient guy. I am. I'm resilient. And yeah. now I know, don't go in the fucking water. Uh, <laughs> when I'm on a boat. When, when I don't boat, have access yeah. to shore. If you, it doesn't, if the craft is seaworthy, that's great. But that doesn't mean, you know, that doesn't mean jump in, Mm-mm. jump. Like, you can wait. Mm-mm. Yeah. So do you have, have you, do you go out often in Portland Harbor? No, no. My boating experience is usually... Uh, like the ferry <laughs> or like people with like lobster boats or whatever. I, like, like sailboats are always still, it's always still a thing for me because it's so few and far between that I'm on them. Yep. Uh, but I mean, obviously I enjoy it. I mean, I'm a Pisces, so we like the water. Yeah. We like being be close to it. Yeah. Uh, it just as long as I don't have to go in. Yeah. Uh, fair. There. Yeah. I like going That's in the fair. water as long as I'm able to get out of the water. That's fair. That's really fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, the... So the 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 Janey Riggin actually I want to I want to talk about this boat a little bit more. So it was built in 1927, mm-hmm. uh, and it was a uh, an oyster dredger, right? Initially, and what is that? What does that entail? Just kind of. So <clears throat> at the time, um, oysters were something. So you think about New York City or um, even up and down the Eastern Seaboard, um, oyster little um, carts and shacks were all over, and um, we we as a culture loved oysters. And so the Riggin um, dredged for oysters. They weren't, mostly they weren't farming oysters at that point. They were just pulling oysters off the bottom from their plots. Um, Sometimes they had plots and sometimes they were just, you know, uh, you know, hundreds of sailboats out there dredging at the same time. And that's how many oysters were out there. And then our harbors got a little more polluted and we are, we, I mean, I'm saying collectively, not us in, not now, but, you know, in, in the 30s, yeah. our demand for oysters got so big that the industry collapsed. And from there, she then went to, um, she crabbed for a while, she did ground fishing for a while, and then in the 70s, um, the folks that owned her before us converted her into a passenger carrying vessel and doing what she does today. Nice. And yeah. the boat is actually a historical landmark. Right. right. Yeah. Right. So they, the <laughs> previous owners um, in the 70s, converted her, uh, like they applied, you apply and um, kind of have documentation um, to be a national historic landmark. And so a number of the boats in the fleet are, were historic, you know, did historic work at one time and then became um, passenger carrying vessels also historic vessels nice. like national historic landmarks yeah. now uh we're going to talk about all of your your books but i think right now is a good time to discuss the tiny kitchen cookbook and sort yeah. of so obviously this this book and i'll let you say it in, in your words but uh from what i what i am gathering it's it's basically it's based on your experiences working within all these restraints we're talking about. And most people don't have those restraints as a home cook, but they do live in small apartments with small kitchens or like my shitty seventies kitchen over there. Exactly. You know, with the electric burners and stuff. So it's like, 
And that's actually why I like doing that show because I'm like, more people have these kitchens than like Viking ranges, you know, like that's, so when you decided to write this book, what was the, the, well, the idea behind it is exactly what you said that just because you don't have the perfect environment and your kitchen doesn't look like something that would go on HGTV doesn't mean you can't make great food. And it doesn't mean you can't make great food in a tiny house or in an RV or on your boat or in your, you know, it doesn't matter. And even if you don't live in a tiny house, your kitchen might still be really small. So our house is um, not a tiny house. It's a hundred, a thousand square feet, but that's still, so when we come off the boat, that seems like all kinds yeah. of space. But for most people, that's little. When we have a big party at our house and I'm um, cooking in our kitchen, we can fit, a, like, we're wall-to-wall in that kitchen, and then we're wall-to-wall in our living room, and we spill out into the, you know, into the yard, and it's fine. Like, there's, there's all kinds of things that you can make without having lot. That's the other thing, lots of equipment. Like, you don't need... Every single, not that it isn't fun to buy. Yeah, it is fun to buy. But I'm, so on the boat, especially it taught me that if it is, if it's a monotool, I have got to, it really has to do the thing that I want it to do really well. Otherwise, it's got to do a dozen different things. So rolling pin, for example, it does, it does that. It rolls, but I used it all the time. And if you don't have space for a rolling pin, you can use, a, and I've done this more than once, can of um, Spam, like a, a Pam, can of Pam. Yep. That's hard to say, can of Pam. Yeah, the Pam. Spam can wouldn't roll. No, easily, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or a wine bottle, yep. same thing. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's not a Pinot Noir bottle, you know, like a... Right, it's actually a Bordeaux-style yeah, bottle. Yeah, exactly. I think it's funny with that, and, and um, talking about what you just said about buying all the things. Yes, they are fun to buy, but I find a lot of times, like if I start making a certain thing, and to do that, it makes me be creative and I get my method, my kitchen, and I'm like, oh, I like doing this. And then all of a sudden I go, I give in to the allure of that thing. I buy that thing and then I end up making it less. I don't know. It's like weird. Like I have it and I'm like now I feel complete, but now I don't want to make it anymore for some reason because I'm too complete. <laughs> and and so what happens for me is I, if I have the thing, whatever that thing is, ah, I'm not going to make it because now I have to get it out and then I have to do the yeah. thing and then I have to clean it and then I got to put it away instead of just using the dang, the Okay, damn. The damn pan. You like make the don't you don't need a rice cooker. Just make the rice. Make the rice in the pot. Yeah. Somebody's like, well, I can't make rice because I don't have my rice cooker. I have heard that. That's not true. I wait for my rice cooker to get here. I can't make the rice on my rice cooker. But then when it gets here, I have to wait for the right water to get here. I got this certain water I want to use for my rice. Uh, But then when that gets here, oh, I don't like this brand of rice. I'm gonna wait till I get the right brand. It's like you could wait. And pretty soon you're eating out because you're not cooking at home. That's exactly so. To me, um, working in that small space just taught me how little I need to actually make all kinds of different food. And then there were some things that I couldn't do. Like, um, I didn't have electricity on the boat. So, for example, trying to whisk meringue on the boat. Yeah. Just don't make pavlovas. Yeah. Don't Try, do it. Yeah. I mean, unless you're a masochist. You <laughs> right. Know, yeah. Okay. So at home, if, you can, if you've got a place to plug in and you've got a little mixer or KitchenAid or something like that, then great. That's perfect. But there were some things I didn't make on the boat because it was just too... That, the effort to make it there was too much. Like what else would be an example of that besides the meringue? <clears throat> um, hmm. 
I figured out how to make a lot of different things. Yeah, I mean, obviously so you're not on, deep frying anything on the boat. Well, or I are you? I did it. I could. I had to pick and choose. So I did uh, make donuts with one of our guests who um, brought his um, grandma's um, donut recipe to us. So whenever he was, I never made him when he wasn't there. Um, and when he was there, then we'd make the donuts together. Um, so when he and I were doing it together, we could, but I'd still have to pick and choose. So if we, if I knew it was going to be, we'd, I'd do it on the last morning. And if it was going to be a romp across the bay, like no way. But if I knew we were just going to tuck around the corner and it was calm, then, then I'd do it. Yeah, you're not. That maybe is the one thing. If, you, if the boat is moving, pick and choose. The, the fry later might not no. be. Yeah. No. And we did it in a deep, like uh, I used my, I have uh, several cast iron pans and yep. I just did it in a deep cast iron. Yeah, and, give it plenty of walls. Right. And, yeah. It's not, and um, for mm. a while I didn't make pizza until I figured out how to use my stove top mm-hmm. to actually um, do the pizza on top of the stove. Nice. And then I started doing tortillas that way and pita that way and naan that way on top of the stove. Yeah, and that's kind of pretty much how naan and all these are made anyway. Exactly. Isn't that what makes it fun to cook? Like, I don't think... Everybody talks about having these, like, crazy kitchens. And I wouldn't want a kitchen where every single thing had, like, its own tool or utensil and everything. I, I think it's more fun to do what you're doing. It's, like, to figure it out. Like, when you're, like, lying in bed one night and just be like... You know what? What if I did this? Uh-huh. I mean, why wouldn't that work? Exactly. Why couldn't I make yeah. naan? Yeah. I'm going to try it. So then it's naan and it's the Korean pancakes and oh. it's, you know, I tried to do the, is it the um, mushu pancakes? Where is that the right? The duck for the duck. Yeah. That didn't go so well. Well, that, you yeah. Know, that's I, a little fussier. So that's okay. Well, it's, that's it's very, right. the texture of that, like when I make duck, Pancakes. I usually just make scallion pancakes yep. to go with it because the mushu. I don't know how you get something so. Th- it's almost like a crepe and a tortilla. Right. You know, it's like. But super we did thin. do crap. And yes. then I would do um, English muffins. Like I figured out how to do English muffins on the, and they're a stovetop thing anyway. Yeah. So, and then the challenge becomes how do you do all that stuff for thirty people? So not just how do you do it, but how do you do it for. So you have a system where you're right. How can I actually make this so that this is going to happen in some kind of with some form of alacrity here? Like we're going to actually get this out the door around lunchtime or dinner. So, so that's where it started. This um, this cookbook, and then the other thing um, that is part of this cookbook is I got I started getting a lot of requests from our guests about. Um, recipes for just two people. Mm-hmm. And I started cooking for just, so I would go from the boat where I was cooking for 30 down to our house where I was cooking for four. And then our girls are no longer at home. So now I'm cooking for two. And if I, you know, when the girls were around and they were taking stuff for lunch and stuff like that, I could cook for 10 and it was fine. Yeah, no problem. But yeah. now I really, we can only eat so much chili before. Like I, I got to yeah. change up the pots. I right? can only eat the same meal twice. Before it has to either be frozen and deal with it later or right. it's going in the trash. Exactly. So how to deal with that. And then what I found um, was, okay, so let's say I want to make, I'm just going to do something like a, a garbanzo bean salad. And I'm going to use a couple garbanzo beans. I'm not making them. I'm not cooking them. I'm using a can. So then that's a couple garbanzo beans. I got a couple garbanzo beans left. 
what do you do with that? Now it's sitting in the refrigerator. If I have that, if I'm thinking about it, then I know other people are thinking about it. This is the problem that our guests, my, my guests that are couples, this is the thing that they struggle with. What yeah. then do I do? Well, that's like, yeah, it's almost like the minute it hits the fridge that, you know, days of our lives, hourglass thing turns exactly. and now it's on. Why? Uh, yes. Or might as well just toss it in the trash right then yeah. because it's going to, I will literally stress out the, about that kind of thing. Like, right. I'll be someplace else and I'll be thinking about at home about how something is open and I have to use it or the world's going to end. Right. Yeah. So solving that problem for people as well. So I took all of the recipes that have anything where there's a partial of something. And at the end of the cookbook, then I talk about how do you use another way to use garbanzo beans. That's really cool. It was fun. And that's a, that's a kind of, um, that's like a skill set that home cooks could have, do have, should have. We used to have like our moms, moms in like in the traditional sense, but our, you know, when we cooked at home more, we had that, that skill set lived in our culture more than it does now. Yeah. Because people actually had to, you know, stretch it out and make the food. And there was a frugality around it. Right. And it's funny because, um, and you always see those recipes. They're like, oh, and this risotto or this, it's a great way to just kind of clean out the fridge. If you've got like, you know, the, a tomato here, or one piece of asparagus here and the blah, blah, blah. I'm like, if I had all those things in my fridge, they'd be so scummy if they were all in there and different from different times. Time. Right. I'm not going to use it. Grocers be out even thinking about somebody just being like, oh, it's a kitchen sink recipe. And I'm like, yeah, that just no, sounds it disgusting. It doesn't work. Even thinking about that. That doesn't work. But if you actually have a plan before you make the first thing to begin with. Right. You know, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to use half of these garbanzo beans now. And then in the rotation tomorrow, I already have this. I don't have to like stress about it, think about it. Right. But then also here's the thing. Restaurant, restaurants, they do this all the time. If they are a well-run restaurant, they're doing this all the time. What's, what needs to be moved? What's coming forward? Go, they should be doing that every day, every other day. And the best right? ones are doing it without being gross about it. Too. Exactly. There's, there's being greedy and there's being smart. Right. And so my, as I'm teaching people that, my rule is, so when you're talking about the tomato and the asparagus yeah. thing, my rule is you get, pick three things. Tomatoes go with asparagus, goes with whatever, uh, corn, like leftover corn on Mm -hmm. the cob. Take the corn off, use the tomato, use the asparagus, that goes into your risotto. Only three. Once you start, especially, like, chefs can do four, five, six, you know, it's fine. Well, you have a professional kitchen and a walk-in. It's fine. You can go into, yeah. But when you're learning how to do it, three, just three. And if it doesn't, if those three things don't go together, pick something else, only use two, Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yeah. There's no need to... No, don't go over force the top. It. Yeah. Right, right. If you're forcing it, it's not going to be good. Yeah, I think with food in general, if you're forcing <laughs> right. it, it's kind of... Right. You know, I, I don't cook well when I'm really stressed out, which is good because cooking relaxes me, so it doesn't happen often. Yeah. But every now and then I'm like, if you're like depressed or angry about something and you're like... I don't really feel like eating, but I should make something. And that's like the time I make something I've made 6,000 times. And I'm like, wow, I forgot to put garlic in the meatballs. That right. was, um, right. Yeah, that was good. Right. Was good because it, was, it, it, it requires our one. I think the, one of the reasons it's relaxing is that it requires our light. Fo- it requires focus, our light attention to it, our, um, 
our noticing of the steps and the details and without getting fanatical about it, but just the, that's what makes the food good when we're noticing all of the, when we're using all of our senses, like we're hearing what the risotto, to use the risotto as an example, we're hearing when I need to put more stock in the risotto. So it's a, it's a present, you need to be present Mm -hmm. to cook well, I think. I also think, I think rice and eggs can sense fear. <laughs> and I think that most, and I think most That's food awesome. does not respond well to you flexing your ego around it. Well, that is totally true. Yeah. Right. The minute you're like, oh yeah, I make that with my eyes closed. Exactly. And that's uh-huh. the one time you're like oh, tasting it and you're like, death, why is this as good this time? Like adding salt to it. I don't know what happened to it. Yeah. Always that time. Right. Yeah. Requires some humble, some humble, yeah. humbleness. Yeah. That's, that's the great equalizer. Yeah. Food as it should be. Right. Um, so, uh, you also recently, so you started, uh, uh, at home with Annie, that's your YouTube show. Home with Annie. Yeah. Home with Annie. Excuse me. Yeah, it's home okay. With Annie, yep. And you started that in 2020. I started it during the, the pandemic. pandemic. Right? Yeah. yeah. When with we couldn't go sailing episode. with our people and I was dying for a way to connect with them and they, us also, everybody was so right when I started it, we were every day was, I'm on the phone with people talking about how it was going to be our, it, that was going to be our last summer and of owning the boat and they wanted their last hurrah and everybody, everyone was grieving And we were grieving because sometimes we were giving people's money back. So that was also really painful. Um, Not the once. It's the 75th time. Not generating money and giving money back. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, But also the right thing to do in that moment. Um, And so I I started it because I needed something that was like connecting with them in a positive way. And also like, okay, I can't cook for you on the boat, but I sure can... I sure can connect with you in this way. I, we can cook together and you can send me questions and I'll answer them and we can even talk on the phone and I'll do a recipe from the cookbook and we can kind of have something. It's not going to be the same, but we'll have something it's and it'll be good. Yeah, It's comforting for all involved. Right. And it'll be good. So yeah. we won't eat together at the same table, but we'll eat together. And you started it with like the peasant loaf of bread was the yeah. first one, which I think is a great Which is one of our and... just like total comfort food yeah and it's it's one of those things that when you watch that episode you're sort of like why don't i make bread for some reason it sounds like more of a like even like making pasta so much more of a production than making bread right i feel like you know it's like why don't you know in in watching your episode actually i went i bought some yeast today at the store after i I watched it yeah i was like why aren't i doing this is ridiculous like yeah Right. And I, how that came, that first episode was I'm watching all these people have epic fails with bread. And I'm like, okay, it's not that hard. Let's just, I mean, we don't have to start with stout, sourdough. Let's just use, right. let's just start with, let's just start with yeast, flour, water, salt. Yeah. And during That's April, it. 2020, it's like, let's start with locating flour. Right? <laughs> if That's you a can good find point. flour, we right. can make bread. That is a good point. Yeah. That's crazy. Like, oh. Are you kidding me? So I was lucky. I had my 50 pound bag of flour that I had bought in, like we didn't know we were going sailing, but we thought we were going to go sailing. So I started (laughs) buying all my food and I I had a couple of 50 pound bags of flour all set to go. I was feeling really grateful right then. Yeah. That uh, paper towels and toilet paper were gold. Right. Right. We're going to have stories to tell forever. 
yeah, about, this, about that time and still this time. Yeah. I mean, it's still like, a, you know, as we're not we, done. As we know, we're not yeah. done, but it, it'll never be. It won't be like that. that because that was like all new when everybody was still half the people are just like, it's nothing. And right. you're like, no, it's, it's actually, was, it's actually probably something. Yeah. I think it's something. <laughs> I was in Austin when all of it, I was in Austin for my birthday, which was March 12th. So it was like they canceled South by Southwest, yeah. But it wasn't like there; nobody was really wearing masks or anything, yeah. But I remember I flew back that weekend, and the minute I got to New England, it was like a zombie apocalypse. Like everything was just over. Yep. We stayed in this embassy suites. Just I was like, you know, I just want to stay because I don't want to take the train in the morning. I could drink on the train on the way back, whatever. And I remember like being in that hotel in the morning, going to breakfast, and it was like this massive, like The Shining, this huge breakfast hall. We were the only ones in there. It was like my friend and I having breakfast, and then a server who was just vacuuming the whole time yeah. across the way. It was so creepy, it's, and like, yeah. And then you get back here, and I, you know, I work in my day job, as you both found out, I work in insurance, uh, but we have a lot of uh, a lot of our clients are restaurants around here that you are very familiar with, and you know, we're talking to all of them, and it was like that mentality of. Okay, it's it's the end of March. It's like, okay, so just pay your April premiums. That way you'll be set through May. When all this blows over in May, right. you know, you'll be set through the month. You Could know. not have even imagined <laughs> no, no way. a year and a half later, we're still talking about it. Could not have even in my wildest dreams imagined. Yeah, that it would actually yeah. literally create a cultural divide right. in the country. Right. Based on this this yeah. The fact that that became what it is is just like I still don't get it. Well, no. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, I usually, and I'll, I'll be honest, I, I like to preach the choir. I'm not going to have anybody on this podcast who is on the other side of this argument, I don't <laughs> think, because I, you know, I don't think I'd be able to tolerate them for all yeah, the five minutes. Yeah, couldn't you take know. 90 minutes you know, in They the say same you're room. supposed to listen to everybody's side <laughs> of the story. It makes you a more well-rounded person, but I don't really care yeah, about their side going of the story. There. No. No, you don't strike me as a well-rounded. You strike me as all or nothing sort of person uh, anyway. Like I am. full hog or no, screw off. Yep. Or it's like it's like I I'm not gonna drink I'm not gonna drink at all or I'm gonna drink a lot. I don't there's yep. no and currently it's not at all. But like yeah, and actually I did the New York Times had a um an interactive quiz yesterday on like if America had six political yeah, parties. Do you see that? I did. I I apparently I'd be uh, closer to the new liberal party, which is sort of like in the middle economically, but still down the social, you know, yeah. not quite all the way to the left. But yep. So that was interesting to see. And I was it looking was. at everybody in a certain area. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I don't want to see any of those people. <laughs> I want to avoid all the people in this in this square. Dem's not my piece. Yes, I don't fit. My circle doesn't fit where this square is. I no. Yeah. yeah. I, I was driving. and I'm just going <laughs> to. I feel the need to talk about this because I was in Portland like a month ago. And I was like just yammering on the on the phone whenever driving and I'm on Congress Street and all of a sudden I see there's like a, a parade of people on the sidewalk and I see those, you know, those yellow flags with the snake on them, the don't tread on me flags. And yep. I'm like, oh boy, what is this? And it was an anti-vaxxer parade. And I'm just like watching it and I'm just like, what? What is so this? So you had the golden retriever look like. Oh, yeah, they no, tilt they, their heads and they right. kind of look at you. And you want to yell something, like, but I'm like, huh. I'm going to keep stopping at stoplights with them walking by. So that's not going to go well at all because these people would love to throw something at my Volvo. I'm sure, <laughs> you know, oh, like, and, but it's like all the, so that gave me a lot of time to read all the signs, and it was like, oh, it's all good. Chris, are we good? Yeah. <laughs> that gave me time to read all of the the signs, and it was just like, you know, vax, know the facts, like support medical freedom, and all this, and I was just like. I just, it's just so foreign to me. I don't understand. I don't get it either. There's so much about it I don't 
yeah. And again, nobody's ever going to listen to this who doesn't agree with us. I pretty much preach to the choir. I'm pretty sure if you are out there, I mean, sorry for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not sorry I said it, but I feel sorry kind of for you. Um, and that is how I completely sidetracked the conversation <laughs> that started talking about your YouTube, uh, YouTube show, Yeah, which you, uh, you've also done, you've done, uh, 207 with Rob Caldwell. Yeah, love. a lot. Uh, he's he's fabulous. This. You know what I love about, I mean, there are so many things to love about Rob, but the thing that I love the most, I think it's, it, it's like a unique skill that they, you know, broadcasters who are really good at what they do. He knows in his bones what four minutes is. Yeah. yeah. And he, he'll, he'll just talk and done. Four minutes. He brings it. He knows exactly. It's astonishing. I've seen him do it on the boat. Sailing along, healing, wind in the background, crew members going, four minutes, done. Oh. It's, I, I yeah. don't know how he does it. Well, I used to do stand-up for a while in in Portland and like Boston and, and, and literally when you start doing stand-up like professionally, the first thing they tell you is you better know the time. Uh. If you go over your time, like that, if and if it's the right kind of environment, a lot of times you go over your time, they're going to take it out of the next person's time, and like that's like literally the worst well. thing to do. So yeah. comedians tend to get this innate sense of like five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes. Like yeah. you just kind of have to know. And actually, I was talking to. Um, Chris, our, our producer director, about a comedian he'd been working with, who literally every time after the after the the take would be like, "What's my time?" and he'd be within like fifteen seconds of that like mark, and he's like, "Yeah, got it, like nice. killed it, like nice. it's just that that thing you just doesn't really go away." You know? Yeah, and Rob's definitely got that. He does because he's like, "You have five minutes when you go into the studio or whatever," and I've done it enough now that I can kind of get a sense. One of the first times I ever did it wasn't him, but it was Lee and Sharon. Yeah, and I. I it was like one of those five thirty in the morning things for like Fukuoma, and I made the mistake of just starting to go on a rant. And literally, I was supposed to be talking about something, and then I was like, I made mapo tofu for it was like a Valentine's Day episode, and they had that kitchen upstairs, so I'm like yeah. cooking it, and then. They're like, so what is this? And I'm like, actually, the Asian pantry, it's very interesting. The Asian pantry is blah, blah, blah. And he's like, okay, we got to go. And I just scream. I was like, use good pork. And then it like, cuts. Like, this scene just cut. That was like, that was what I learned all about, all about that. Yeah, use good pork. Make a column about that, right? Yeah. That's yeah. all I have to say today. <laughs> Mic drop. Just use the good pork. Nothing else. The Asian pantry, you figure it out. Um, <laughs> so you now you actually had a leftovers episode on the on the YouTube. Yeah. Show. So the other thing um, I started doing. So one of the things I find this is related to the Tiny Kitchen Cookbook too, is that when you have leftovers, you said the same thing. I can only have the same thing twice, and then it's got to go in the freezer. But the thing is that one of the strategies that restaurants and I use in, and I use it on the boat, I do it in my home kitchen, um, is sometimes I'll make a little extra of something. So I will use it. I'm not going to use, I'm not going to use that. Ex we're not going to have the exact thing, but I'm going to use that in the next thing that I'm doing. Ravioli or right. like big nachos with it. Or exactly. Like so it means that I can walk in mm. the door. I know that if I have a longer day in the kitchen, longer, you know, I'm going to spend 45 minutes to an hour, like cooking this dinner and cooking a couple other things. I know that I can also walk in the door and 15 minutes later, I got dinner on the table and it's not eggs and toast. Yeah. Which they not knocking eggs and toast, but exactly. seven nights a week. 
not great. Eggs and toast once in a while, fine. But so I started in on, okay, so to like show people, this is how you do it. You know, that three, um, that three, um, ingredient, ingredient rule, yeah. right? So this is how you do it. I pulled these things out of the refrigerator and now this is what I'm going to make. I don't have a recipe for it. You're not going to be able to create the same thing. It's okay. I'm just showing you, this is what I made. You could probably at some point find a similar combination, or maybe this will inspire you, give you the process of how to do it, and you can do it in your own way with what's in your refrigerator. Instead yeah. of, you know, like the mm. that stat that we throw out for 30 to 40% of the food Which that is, we... It's crazy. It I mean, kills me. Crazy. So from a dollar perspective, and then especially at that... You know, when I first started that that specific segment, um, using up leftovers, mm -hmm. people were having a hard time finding stuff at the store. I'm like, okay, well, let's go freezer diving then. Yeah. Let's use what you've already you've. I'm sure, you have stuff in your home. I'm sure of it. What's it going to be? Let's figure it out. That's super fun though. It's like, that's the one of the magical things about when you are in that as a home cook. Sometimes you like life gets busy and you end up eating out or whatever, or just having kind of the same go-to meal for a little bit. Yep. But every now and then you get inspired and for like, you know, five, six, seven nights, you're making different meals, but you're also getting in that mentality of this rotating pantry. You're like, okay, yeah. Right. Like now I know I'm going to make this and that's going to transition into this tomorrow. So I'm going to have this leftover and that's going to become this. And it's like, you don't have to just go all, oh my God, Chris, I've hit this microphone so many times. Are you okay? Yeah. I don't usually hit the microphone. No, I'm usually, I'm, she, she's making me very animated. Uh, <laughs> No, but, but like a lot of times I think if you haven't cooked for a while, you have that thing where you go and you buy too many things all at once and then you just stress about all the things you bought at the store. Right. Because you're like, these are going to go now bad I have to now. use it all. Yeah. But when you get in that nice rhythm and the pantry is just like, right. it's just so fluid, yep. you know? And like, like you said, it's like you can literally go into the freezer, find like a thing of tomato sauce or maybe some frozen potato cakes or whatever. And you can be like, oh, the minute you see it, you formulate, you know what else is in your spice rack, you know, maybe you have to go buy one thing, like some scallions or something. Right. And it's good to go. Whole nother meal. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's my favorite thing to do. Well, favorite. And I love that you, I think that's something people need to, to know because they don't, when you say leftovers or you say all that, it just paints a different picture. No, leftovers them. have a bad rap. Right. Right. But no, it's like built in flavor, built in time saver. And, and I mean, just, flat out delicious mm -hmm. i mean it's okay do yeah. use them use them right and as a time saver like i mean it kind of reminds me of uh you're, you're familiar with kenny shops and mm -hmm. uh he used to always in his in his book uh eat me it's obviously kenny's book he has a whole thing we talks about when he makes bolognese he's like i use my chili because bolognese is like meat that's cooked for a long period of time so he's like i cooked my chili for all long time so i just that's what I use in it because it's long cooked meat. I just kind of cut corners and it's still delicious. And that, that yeah. and he makes his crepes with uh, flour tortillas. Like he like dips them in buttermilk or something. Mm. And he's like, cause he basically figured out that a crepe and a flour tortilla have a lot in common. And that's how he does it. So he, Oh, I'm going to look that up. So yeah. he dips it in, in egg. He dips it in the egg or the milk or whatever. I'm not sure. I, I forget the exact what he does, but, and then he, he cooks it. He says he served it to people who cannot, can't tell that he that's not a. Oh, I wonder if he soaks it. it. Oh, like I'm gonna I'm gonna look that up. That's yeah. a fabulous idea. Yeah, that's the kind of thing. Like I said, you're you're laying in bed at night. Right. Like, I wonder. Yeah, and this is a guy. I mean, like our friend uh, Carrie at uh, Cafe Miranda. Yeah. Kenny shops, and you know, you've got a menu with a thousand things on it, but your mise en place is only you know right. it's only twenty things. Like right. you just know how to work all these things around and make all this stuff from it. Right. 
Yeah, I remember when Carrie first made that. Carrie and I kind of came up at the same time, and um, I remember when he first made that menu. I looked at him and I'm like, "You are, you are a crazy yeah. man." Yeah. And it for a while it was crazy until he figured it out. Right. But now I think the only yeah he's got that down to a science. And now people go in the restaurant or not in, but like, I mean, now is a different scenario because it's all right. But there's still so many choices, and he's got that down to a science, how to move things over here, and this is going on that plate, and yep. Getting it's those great. moving parts under control and yeah. what you do. That's, yeah, then you can, you can exist with a menu like that. Exactly. Um, so you are, right now, you are sort of... Uh, exclusively going towards the, the, the writing cookbooks because you're not you're not cooking on the Reagan right now, are you? Or? No. So right. in February, so our plan was, and like a lot of people, our plan shifted. Our plan was to have last year be our last season. Say goodbye to everybody, hug everyone, mm-hmm. cry the tears together, and um, and then have another adventure. So the adventure part definitely has happened. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Um, but we didn't go sailing last year, and um, we did sell the boat after um, 23 years in business. So now the um, thought is to head in the cookbook direction and the YouTube direction and um, connecting all those things to the blog and and see where that takes me for now. I... Um, so many of our guests, and we saw a bunch of them last weekend. Well, so I thought you were gonna like open your own restaurant, and I'll be, I'll so be there. And I was like, listen, yeah, you were I'm at not, my restaurant for yeah. twenty three years. Also, I'm not an insane person. No, I would never do that. You no. Know? <laughs> so it took every it, to do what we did for as long as we did, and same thing in restaurants. It takes so every fiber of your focus, so much of your time and energy, and to do that business in particular. To do it authentically and to do it with grace and um, and uh, love and um, welcoming to all these people from all over different walks of life takes um, intention and um, and a lot of energy and we could feel that we were getting, we weren't there, but we could feel the time was coming when we were, the threads of that were starting to fray. And we did, we wanted to love it right until the very end. And we did that. So to go back into it, mm -mm. I mean, I love food. Food will be a part of my life forever, but not in, not in a restaurant way. Yeah, because it's... It's why people retire. Right. They don't want to do the same, especially right. something that's that all-consuming. Right. Like, I actually that want to do some other stuff right. now. I'd right. love to cook for you. Right. But so, I mean, you know, you've gone this direction now, but really, though, I mean, almost 20 years ago, you started with making doing the cookbooks. Right. Because that was when uh, At Home at Sea right. had come out. Right. It was 2004, you said? You know, yeah, so, 2004. Yeah. And that was, so you've kind of always sort of been synonymous with the, the nautical theme, much like myself. You know, people think Joe Riccio, <laughs> yes. they think, you know, That's Ahoy. the first thing. Right. Yeah. So you're the same way. Right. Um, so you actually, you've kind of gone with that, I want to say, not theme might not be the right word, but uh, you've sort of incorporated that into your cookbooks from the very beginning. Yeah, because that was my restaurant. Yeah. So the without the boat, without the boat as part of that, it was just another cookbook. But yeah. when you put the boat and the wood stove and the, I mean, 
and the beauty of the main, like the, how gorgeous the main coast is and how picturesque it all is, then it's a story. Mm -hmm. Then it's a cookbook that you want to read and also cook from. And those are the, those are the kind of cookbooks I love the most where there's a story connected to it. Um, where there's a, I think that's why Erin French's, um, work has been so popular. There's this story that is, that is heart grabbing connected to her work. It's more of a narrative than just, I came up through all these restaurants under these great chefs and I make great food. Right. Not knocking people that that is their narrative, but for people to be engaged in with cookbooks, especially now, I mean, less so even in 2004, because that was when that was like four years after the food network kind of blew up and everybody was like really getting, so that was a really good timing. Now it's like, you know, how do you separate yourself right now? You have to have that narrative. Like you say, you have to have the story in addition to the recipes. A lot of cookbooks have great recipes. I don't right. think that's usually not really, when you say a cookbook's really great, usually you aren't necessarily talking about the recipes themselves. There no. are things that you've made a bunch and that you always make, but it's right. because you enjoy looking at right. the There's book. something, either there's something about the style of it or there's something about the heart connection that the author made in their story or the food that they, um, that they're bringing to you or their ethos or their intention behind the food or something. Yeah. So that, I mean, it's you, it sounds like you really, it didn't take long for you to want to, to do the book yeah, from no. when you started. So, I mean, you wanted to tell the story early on. And then, and then when did you, when did Sugar and Salt come out? Um, you have two editions that you have the blue and the orange. Right. right. So that was probably, um, I think um, the blue one, the blue came six years after that. And, um, and the interesting thing is that because the first cookbook, by the time um, the blue one came, I'd started to change. So when I, um, the first At Home at Sea came out, it was just at the time when, so you're talking about the Food Network, but also farmers markets and um, locally grown beef and cheeses and like all of that stuff was just starting. So in Rockland... The farmer's market in Rockland, when we first bought the Riggin, there were like three vendors and the green beans were like half green bean, half, you know, flop. They, I mean, it just yeah. wasn't a thing. Whereas now, right? So as I could have access and there was a moment, a tipping point where we talked about, that's totally where I wanted to go. I couldn't find all of those ingredients in our area. Um, and so there was a tipping point and I started to grow my, the garden got huge, but that was ridiculous. Also, like, how am I going to tend the garden and go sailing there? You can't, they're not even in the same place. Right. So I started, we started to have a conversation about, are we going to grow our and raise our own animals and our own. And by the time we got to, thank God, we got to the, that's a bad idea. How about we don't? Um, how about, I mean, and we were thinking about hiring somebody, but right. still like, how about not? Yeah. Do we need <laughs> Yeah, that? Is it really necessary yeah. to add that to the plate as well? Um, but by that time there were enough, there was a critical mass where I could then have, um, you know, meats coming from here, beef is coming from here, pigs are coming from here, eggs from here. Like I could start to really gather and, um, I started, like I had, you know, like a lot of restaurants, 30 vendors, 30 different individual the coffee and cheese and mushrooms and all the rest of it, which was fabulous. Yeah. And, and that also, exploded. Yeah. I was going to say that was sort of unheard of. At that point. At that point. Yeah. Right. So then that changed how I cook. 
So it used to be I'd go to the grocery store, I'd get everything from the grocery store, I'd make the menu and I'd shop to the menu. I stopped cooking like that. I'd get the food and then I'd make the menu to the food. So Farmer Tom would call and he'd say, okay, you're getting beets and you're getting, you're getting three bunch of beets and um, two bunches of kale and... And I'd be like, okay, I don't know. Or, or he'd say, uh, you're getting five pounds of tomatoes. I'm like, what? I don't even know what that yeah. is. I, I, yeah. I, what is five pounds of tomatoes? I don't right. even know what, I can't conceptualize what that is. <laughs> How much is that? Until I would look at it. Like, oh, oh, also these aroma tomatoes. These, I was planning on, Fair I was planning on something else. Yeah. And now I could really roast these. Okay, great. And then the, uh, I was planning on, you know, shaving um, the beets really finely and, you know, tossing them with some, bals- this special balsamic I got. No, these beets are enormous. You know, this is, I'm not shaving this, you know, softball size beet. No. Okay. So. I stopped making the menu ahead of time. And that's how these other books came. This one too, the tiny kitchen cookbook. Mm-hmm. And what, <clears throat> what is the, I mean, what would, if you had to describe the difference between at home at sea and then the sugar and salt books, I mean, is it sort of a continuation on that essentially or? Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, it's an evolution mm-hmm. of my, how I cook. Oh, Hi there's kitty. There's the cat. Yeah. Hey, a visit. <laughs> There's a cat here. Hi, Tony. Um, so it's the evolution of my cooking. How it, and at home at sea is much more baking than the other two, and the mm-hmm. um, these other two are set up seasonally. How mm-hmm. I now how I cook, and um, there are a bunch of pantry. Um, what do you you know like jams and pickles and uh, making your own granola or bourbon vanilla that kind of thing mm-hmm. like things uh, 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 preserve lemons stuff like that mm-hmm. um, are in the two newer cookbooks and then um, a couple of crafts also so some gardening some crafts one's a, you know some sewing and some knitting yeah, but all connected the ap- the aprons to and everything. right yeah, yeah, all connected cool. to what you could use in your and then you in also your kitchen. The, the family narrative isn't here as well. right sort of it, exactly it that, that thread graphical right element and it's i mean really it's a lot of um i hate to use the term like refined comfort food because it sounds so like played out and generic but it's not i mean it's like you know you have like the guajula pork and right. the, uh you know mussels and chorizo right yeah, I call it swanky Ooh. comfort food. You know, one of my favorite things, though, I'm just looking at this book right now. Oh, man. One of my favorite things in the entire world that, like, really just rolls my eyes back in my head is uh, Dolce de Leche. Uh... I actually, it's funny. Last night, I just, I, we had, I had cooked a thing on Sunday with, with Joel, and he had, we had did a dessert with that, and he had made two jars of it. Uh, he actually went, we tried all the different sweetened condensed milks, and actually landed on Nestle, was the one that actually worked the best. Uh, and so I had a jar of it that literally last night I finally used the last of it. I got a, a pint of no sugar added, like coconut milk ice cream, and then I just smothered it in dulce de leche. <laughs> I was like, you know. This needs some yeah, contrast. Yeah, exactly. But oh we my God. We cannot be that healthy. Like, I was in Buenos Aires for my 30th birthday. And the only time I've ever done this is like I, I ordered dessert. It was a dulce de leche crepe. And I literally ate it and I ordered it again. Like oh right off the wow! Like, I need another one of those. It's the only you time. You just loved it. I love that caramel so much. It's different. I mean, how is it different from? It's it's the milk, right? The, the yep. S- it's all the sugars in the milk. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, it's my favorite thing. 
Yeah, I mean, when you make, so Dolce de Leche has that because it's um, been concentrated for so long, it's hitting all that umami stuff. It's all of the, it's, Yeah, it's not like, like a, you're just eating a, a spoonful of sugar. Like, it no. has all these things that Whereas make you caramel sauce is it. just, like, right on the top of your, uh, of your, I don't know, palate, your taste buds. The Dolce de Leche just kind of, if we're going to, like, go a wine direction, Let's you know. Let's talk about like mouthfeel. Yeah, I mean, right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just full rich like the whole the full circle to me yeah and so for you too because you love it god i love it yeah it's just like you, it's not often that you're like i could literally sit here and eat this whole jar of caramel and not really feel that bad about it because no. it's so delicious like every right. single bite you keep being re-reminded right. of how lucky you are to be eating the dulcet yeah. now you can make a simple version of that but don't you just like boil the can of sweetened condensed milk mm-hmm. but it's not like making a pipe bomb no because it sounds dangerous it does sound dangerous but it it works okay you'd have to be you just vigilant yeah it. you just have to don't like, set it and forget it. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. Let's really? not uh, yeah. let's not leave it on the stove. Have all the water evaporate. Yeah, I'm gonna take and, a shower. I'll yeah. be back to you yeah. uh, in a little bit. No, we'll no, see. no, no. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit like there are a couple of things. Um, uh, I just recently was talking about oh, creme brulee. So it's the same thing. You can't make when you're making creme brulee and you're gonna boil the cream, right? I mean, the dolce de leche is a little longer process, obviously, but. Um, uh, the rule is you can't walk away from it because as soon as you start to get impatient and you walk away, like do not answer the phone, don't do it because as soon as you walk away from it, that's when it boils like over. A roux, same yes, thing, yeah. exactly. It's not happening. It's not happening. <laughs> Nothing's happening. I'm getting bored. Walk away. Oh, there it happened. There, now yeah. I have a minute. Yeah, there we go. Oh, good. Now you get to start over. <laughs> exactly. Because you can't rescue those kinds of things. Exactly. Generally, things that are ruined the minute you leave them. Right. So yeah, that's that's very true. Um. So, sugar and salt, like I said, they're they're cool because you have all the different elements in there, not just the recipes. You can literally these are the kind of books you can read cover to cover, right? Uh, and they look great too. Yeah, those were um, Moore and Company, which is a Portland-based company. Oh, you see that blue mug I have over there? That's from Moore and Company. Oh, cool! That was one of my favorite parts about it. They had the that that color blue. I don't know. It's it's amazing. Yeah, they are. They're fabulous in terms of look and feel and yeah. design work well they helped they created yeah, makes complete sense. Yeah, kind of, yeah the framework for those mm-hmm. yeah so they did we worked um with them on the blue one and then um just ever so briefly to like i wanted that framework to be the same so they helped us create the orange and then we were able to drop it all in because all of the, those first three are self-published cookbooks and then the tiny kitchen cookbook is um, story yeah, publishing. Up with them. What was that? Uh, that involved getting the whole proposal together and doing the not a, no? not a lot. No, nice. it, it was a couple of conversations. I mean, you so you have a lot of you know a portfolio right. here. To show I mean, the first here. conversation went to why don't you send us the books that you have? Mm-hmm. So uh, one of their um, top editors sailed with us. She and her sisters came sailing, and at the end of the week, she came up to me and she said, "Listen." You need to talk with my boss. Here's her number. I'm like, great. Okay. So I called her and she said, why don't you send us um, these three, the three books that you have 
and um, we'll take a look. And they looked at them and they, and then they wanted to talk like how many numbers, how many had we printed and that sort of thing. And she said, I don't think we can do anything more for you. I can't repackage this any better than you've already done it. And I can't probably sell any more than you've already sold. However, this concept here, let's talk about something else. So we went back and forth on a bunch of different ideas. um, And their team also brought some ideas to me and that's how we have, we came to the tiny kitchen cookbook. Who shot this? Kristen Teague. Oh, okay. Well, She's that, great. That, that explains why the, the photos are so good. Yep. During COVID, which was uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I, so I've never, so for the most part, I was really involved in this book, right? All of the, all of the writing, all of the recipes and none of the photos in my other three cookbooks. I made all that food. Right. So it's so weird to have someone else make your food. There was a stylist and a photographer Mm -hmm. make. And I wasn't even there because of COVID. I wasn't even I wasn't on site. And it turns out I I didn't need to be. Was it Were you like pretty much this is exactly what I had had pictured? I love how all that food looks. That looks like my food. Same thing um, when I went to. So I was on the. Katrin Kelty. Yeah. I was on the Today Show a long time ago for the um, Red Book, mm-hmm. and um, as Sharon, uh, Sharon, a mutual yep. long time ago friend of ours, um, and I were driving into New York City, um, the producer of our segment called and she said, so I was ready. I was ready to go in early. Um, I was going to go in early at 6.30. We were going to shoot at 10. Um, going to go in early and make all of the food ahead of time. And it was going to be great. And then we were going to demo. It was going to d- be different pieces. So we're driving in the day before and um, sh- the producer calls and she says, right, so we've got the food all made. And so Annie just needs to show up at about 9.30 and we'll start shooting at 10. And I was like, I'm going on national television and someone else yeah, made, made my food? food? Yeah. What if it doesn't taste like my food? What if it, well, of course it doesn't matter. No, no one's, I'll pretend it tastes like my food. What if it doesn't look like my food? What, how am I, like that's the weirdest thing ever it was to me was then. was a dish? I was just curious. Um, a lamb and lentil stew. And then we did a ginger, um, uh, there was some bread, I think brown bread, my grandma's brown bread recipe, and then um, a ginger cake, an upside down butterscotch, upside down butterscotch ginger cake. And it looked great. It was all fabulous. But I was a nervous wreck. More so than going on TV, I was nervous about what my food looked like. Well, it's weird when you've been styling food. Like I said, Katrin Kelty, who did this, I know her. I've actually been to... um, She's great. uh, Friend, Nicole Wolf was also a photographer. The three of us went uh, spent time in Grand Manan uh, together, which was really oh. really fun. She's super fun. Yeah, and it's like, well, even even Kristen and but also her, like they're they're so good at what they do. I mean, like I feel like to be a food stylist and a food photographer and to be recognizable without seeing your name, like your work is recognizable. That takes talent. I mean, yep. How do you get that good at something like that? Right. That somebody can be like, oh, that looks like that's probably Katrin Kelty did that. Book. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, it is. It's kind of like how you can always tell it's Tommy Lee on the drums. Uh, Molly, you know, <laughs> like, you're awesome. like, oh, he has a very signature style. Right. Like, yeah, Dave Grohl. There's certain drummers you can like, okay, I can identify him without knowing. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, to be that good at 
the thing, yeah. whatever your thing is. You always think about food styling, and it was like it was always like growing up. They're always like, you know, when you see the commercial for the Oreos, that's actually glue in there. It's not real filling. <laughs> Nobody's gonna be eating the Oreos. Yeah. <laughs> and I was always like, is that true? Was that true? I just sort of I accept a lot of things as a fact growing up, and I literally until like the other day was like, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that I've just sort of accepted my whole life that have no basis in reality at all. Uh, I should reevaluate those things. But it, there are a bunch, you know, you hear a bunch of stories about how it's not really the food. But right. I. Well, that's really the food. Exactly. Right? <laughs> because no you can tell. Exactly. Here, yeah. I want. That's what I was worried about, really. Right. That the. the Somebody else is making my food. What if it doesn't really. What if it doesn't look real? Yeah. So. I mean, yeah, this is basically. I mean, this looks like. Oh, like, oh, yeah. Thomas Keller comes over and cooks with me every night. <laughs> put this whole fish together you like how it's on the board i do that for the whole family they like to look at it before we, we tuck into the fish um, yeah it's uh it's it's beautiful this book is beautiful thank um, you and talking That's about really uh fun. td so to sort of i guess change direction i sort of saw but i couldn't pinpoint you did you were involved with throwdown with bobby flay mm -hmm. which what episode was that was that? the um the lobster club sandwich okay so, it was so the one with lynn archer yeah lynn and that's why i was confused i was trying to find it but it was like i think it was kept coming up as that one and i yep. didn't know that that was a... and then sam sam hayward oh was, he was the other well? judge oh okay. he's the other judge that nice. was fun i love sam yeah that was really <laughs> fun so that's a funny story actually yeah um so they called, the Food Network called and said, hey, we have this really great thing. It's going to be so good for you. Can you just show up here? It's going to be a little party in Harbor Park. And can you just show up and, and it's going to be so good for your business. And I was like, sure. When do I show up and what do you, know, what do you want me to do? Just 10 o'clock. I, mean, I can't remember what time, but you know, a specific time. Yeah. And, um, and just be there. Great. And I get off the phone and I tell Elizabeth, the woman who's answered the phone for us and did all kinds of office work and every, like she was our, she worked for us for 18 years. She did everything. I get off the phone and I said, that's a food network. I'm going to go do a thing in Harbor Park. And she said, what's the thing? I was like, yeah, I don't really, I, hmm. I don't really know what the thing is. Okay. Well, I, I, I'm going to do the thing. Yeah. So then it's the summer and we're sailing. And if I'm off the boat, it's a... It's a thing. So um, it gets closer and closer, and I, I'm like, I cannot. My galley is not prepared for me to leave for this long. I don't think I can go. I don't. I don't know how. I can't. I don't have. I've called a couple other people to come in. They can't come. I don't think I can leave. So. And Elizabeth was like, I don't think you can either. I don't know. For like, yeah, for I what? what mean. I mean, you're yeah. going to a party in Harbor right. Park? That doesn't seem like <laughs> the reason to leave. So I called them um, back and I said, hey, I don't, I, I, I need a little more information. I don't really, it's going to be a party. It's yeah. going to be great. It's going to be so good for your business. And she just kept talking. Please, you can't cancel. Blah, 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 blah. And, I, and I got, and she talked me into it. And I got off the phone and I said, she says it's going to be great. And Elizabeth was like, great for what? Was, yeah, nine you know, times like, out of ten, <laughs> the term really good for your business or really good exposure for you is like the red flag kiss of death. Like That means I want something for free exactly. from you. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to. So then she says, can you meet me outside of the timeout pub um, at, let's just make up a time, 9.15. 
okay. Yeah, they have special little plastic cups there for Jaeger bombs. The uh-huh. one time I went there, exactly. One thing I remember about and they're not open at nine fifteen, so no. I know the party's not. Which happening is surprising, at, actually, uh, given exactly. that place. Yeah. So I'm there. I'm sitting on a rock. Nine fifteen goes by. Nine twenty. 9.30 rolls around, and I'm thinking to myself, are you effing kidding me? I'm sitting here on a rock in front of the timeout pub where I've said hello to three of my friends yeah. asking me why I'm sitting on the rock. I don't know. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. And then she comes up, and she says, do you know what this is? And I'm like, no, but now would be a real good time because I'm I, my rule is I'll wait for somebody for 15 minutes, and then I'm done. So I was ready to walk. And um, she says, well, this is Sam Hayward. I'm like, Sam, hi, what are you doing here? And she says, do you know what this is? I'm like, Somebody just tell me what this is. Like, this stop is the, asking me if I know. Exactly. Clearly, I don't know. No, I don't. It's the food. It's the throwdown with Bobby Flay. You're going to be one of the judges. You and Sam. I'm like, oh, God. Well, okay, that, well. All you had to say was that. Why at couldn't least I didn't that? cancel that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so... So then, and then, you know, all the shenanigans related to that ensued. ensued. Yeah. And then I went, I, then I was able to go back to Elizabeth, my right-hand person and say, well, that was worth it. Yeah. And then went back to the boat and said, hey guys, guess what? That's cool. So it's so weird that they would be so cryptic about it. Like, they didn't want us. Um, inviting all your friends. Yeah. Or they didn't want. Uh, they, they did tell you it was going to be a fun party though. Right. And I did look over at Harbor Park, but she said, you know, like, I'm kind of a, I I could have walked over to Harbor Park and gone to see what it was, but she said, no, meet me in front of Time Out Pub. So here I am sitting in front of Time Out Pub. So, yeah. It was. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really funny. Like. (laughs) Really close to not being there. Yeah. But thank God. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. Sam, Sam's great. Perfect for that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Okay, cool. That, that makes, that makes sense. I was like. Obviously, I'd, I'd known about the the limb and I hadn't actually seen the episode, but I know about it because if you live in Maine, you know about that episode. For, right. For, you just kind of do. Right. Uh, and everybody likes watching Bobby get beat. It's sort of like, you know, it's very satisfying. <laughs> to yeah. See. Yeah. It was kind of satisfying to do it, though. Yeah. I, I got to say, like, yeah. Lynn says in the in the show, kiss a death, baby. Yeah. <laughs> right. In her. Mainer New Yorker the, accent. Yeah, which these days is kind of synonymous <laughs> right. anyway. So yeah. And but it was true. Like you like the you know, the when you've tasted just flat just lobster and mayonnaise with some other things around it, and then there's a lot going on, you lo- like it could you lose it. You lose yeah. it. Yeah, and but... so, you know, no, like having honored lobster for most of my life, it was, it was fascinating to taste the two and it, the whole thing was total fun, but it was also, you know, it was, Lynn did a great job. Yeah. I mean, even the concept of a lobster club is kind of pushing it. It is. You know, and... when you have the bacon in there, right. it's the bacon That's pushing it. that pushes it. Yeah. What did Bobby do? He did um, uh, like a, a crisp Serrano ham, and then he had some um, uh, some tomato chutney, and then there was some either celery or celery salt in with the lobster, and it was like celery uh-uh. salt with like the, the crispy speck. That's Mm-mm. really bizarre. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. Yeah. Uh, well, that that sounds like have you ever had lobster before? I mean, I'm pretty sure he has. He's from right. Like, why would you think that would be? 
Like just listening to that, I'm like, that sounds incredibly disjointed. And why right. do I want tomato texturally? Why would goes I want back to the rule: choose my... three things. Choose yeah, three things. Choose Make it simple. Also, think about texture. Like, <laughs> think about the last time you had lobster salad. And you want somebody to toss a bunch of tomato chutney into it? Mm. Like that would be right. Yeah, not that wouldn't work. Yeah. That's fine. Okay. Well, I'm glad. I'm yeah. glad that he found out. Hopefully, he he left there enriched, mm. uh, knowing something new. Um. Oh, Chris, do you think, uh, is this setup conducive to grabbing a few stills while we... I brought the camera, yeah. Oh, cool. Like, I feel like this lighting is really good. I feel, yeah, this is, actually, I feel like I look good in this lighting. I feel like we should, we should capitalize on that for sure. Um, I was like, just thinking if there's anything else that I particularly wanted to... Uh, yeah, I definitely highlighted Boat Tuna Fish Bar Harbor Tricep Tear. That was... <laughs> That's like the most prominent thing at the bottom. It's like to, right. Do not forget to mention oh your utter God. humiliation. Oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you, but you know what? It makes for a good story now. Right, right then, oh, yeah. it might have been too soon to laugh about, but... Oh, I was laughing. I had Good. To. Yeah, if you aren't laughing in that situation, you're probably bawling. Yeah, and you're so, humiliated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have to kind of embrace the other side of things, yep. you know? Um, what do you think that the most ambitious thing you've done on the boat was in terms of maybe something you weren't sure if it was going to work out or... Confi. Okay. Just because I didn't know whether I could, I didn't know whether I could get um, my wood stove to do it. I didn't know if I had the sp- it's logistically. I didn't know if I had the space. I didn't know um, to like have it be in the refri- the fridge Just for twenty. Yeah. yeah, and then um, whether I could get it low temperature, the stove a low enough temperature to just kind of let it hang Winter for off. a while. Um, but yeah, it became a staple. I nailed it. It was, it's, it was great. Yeah. It sounds like really the temperature would be the, the most important thing there. Just you know, right. That can be pretty much, I mean, if you have all the settings in the, in the right place, it'll yeah. work itself. Out. Most of my challenges were logistical challenges. Mm-hmm. Like that, that many people. Right. Um, but also like, will the, will that pan fit in this stove and will, could I like, for example, I didn't do a lot of, um, sourdough bread. I did a lot of, um, like long, um, slow ferments, but I never did sourdough once it was, um, shaped and rising like that because I didn't have the space to do it. I, I knew I couldn't protect four loaves of sourdough for 12 to 18 hours. So I never, I just never did it. Yeah. Um, and plus I needed, I needed bread for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So um, I would do those, I could do the long, slow ferments and I'd tuck that one away and then I'd tuck that one away and I'd tuck that one away and I'd pull, I'd pull them. But once it started to, once I shaped it, then I needed it to go in the oven pretty quickly. So a shorter rise there. Yeah. Um, what else was tough? Seems like you've got your ice cream uh, tactic now with uh, not using an ice cream maker. That's yeah, I didn't have a freezer, so we did the oh, yeah. old fashioned. Yeah, everybody takes a turn <laughs> with the ice cream, but that was a that was a fun team building. Yeah, yeah, that's good like news, everybody. Yeah, exactly. You get to help with prep today. I know. Just keep, keep, the keep good shaking. news yeah. is we're having ice <laughs> yeah. cream. The good news is everybody's helping. Yeah, don't stop whisking. I know your arm hurts, <laughs> but just keep going. It's all part of the fun. You'll yeah, love it. Just keep exactly. going. And we're gonna make some meringue after this. Everybody. Right. Yeah. Okay. So here's challenging um, for me on the boat was more about 
less about the specific things that I made and more about um, vegetarian, gluten-free, dairy-free, um, sugar-free, uh, you know, like having more than a couple people at once. So I'm making, I'm serving family style for the most part. So I'm needing to either separate out the things that have dairy and have them all be separate, or I end up um, changing how I go about doing things and I have spreads. So it's like big taco bar with lots of different choices yeah. or um, big Asian um, spread with, all, but everything separate. So I do all these individual pieces and everybody built their own as opposed to one big pot of chili, let's say I'm thinking for lunch, right? right? Or a big, you know, I do tons, uh, I do a roast um, for dinner um, special dinner or something like that, but then I'd also do tons of vegetables and um, a couple carbohydrates so that people could really pick and choose what worked for them. And then I needed to less tend to their individual piece. Right. That like was You're hard. responsible knowing your own allergies. Here. Right. This is what's out here. Let me tell you what's in what. <laughs> yeah. And I will do all everything in my power to keep you safe, but also I'm going to ask you to take responsibility because I am one and you are so many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's a, I mean, that's a smart method, though. I mean, like I said, you transfer the responsibility, you know. Right. And then then I wouldn't get so much of, well, I don't really feel like having mushrooms today. Hmm. Well, yeah. It's all right. Don't don't choose the mushroom thing. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah. Instead of... <clears throat> I don't feel like it. I'm also allergic to them today. <laughs> right. Well, this has mushroom stock. Well, that's fine. I can do mushroom stock. I just can't right. have... Actual mushroom, well, cremini mushrooms. If you have any shiitakes, right? So those. please don't use the term "I'm allergic" <laughs> yeah. when you don't like, because that's not fair to the person I'm trying to keep safe. Right. Because that's not an allergy. It's not. That's <laughs> a preference. I, don't I get like it. Yeah. I get it. It's all right. right. You don't. You People don't. will respect you much more if you're like, I don't like mushrooms. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> like, Food respect. I, that's where it comes yeah, from. I just don't like. Just them. flat out. Yeah. I mean. No, so I'm allergic to them because I don't. I'm allergic to things that I don't find pleasurable. <laughs> I'm pretty much allergic to. So, and that and that strategy has got me absolutely nowhere in life. Uh, so that's good. Um, so this cook the uh, tiny kitchen just came out this month, right? Yeah. So this is the only copy I've seen. It is scheduled to be on. In bookstores, the twenty eighth of this month. Nice. And this is going to be rolling out nationally. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's so I'm that's, that's... fascinated to see what that looks like. Yeah. As opposed to like, so these I sold on the boat and mostly um, regionally, mm -hmm. New England, um, and it was all me. Just hey, I have this cookbook. I think it might be a right, good fit you in your had store. Somebody actually, these have the universal appeal. It's like right. The key is having. Somebody whose job it is, or right. two of the people whose job it is, to market right. this. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, the whole process has been so different and really interesting to you be a part of. You're going to go on tour or what? Uh, they're not doing. Oh, right. They're not yes. doing yeah. in person. So I'm going to yeah. be doing a whole bunch of in uh, virtual conversations and um, and trying to set up even locally um, set up virtual book signings in Rockland because. Um, like Hello, Hello Books, for example, is not, is not, is still not open to the public in person. Yeah. yeah. So, and I think, I don't know, 
seems we might be going back into that a little bit. We'll yeah, see. As we've already yeah. <laughs> as we discussed. Yeah. You know. Whatever. We, yeah. Certain people just, you know, right. whatever. <laughs> right. Now, you have, uh, have you always consider yourself a writer as long as well as a, a cook or I mean because no. you said you you wrote professionally for the Portland Press Herald for a right, while right I did yeah 11 years um so if you would have said to me when I graduated from college with a psych degree and I was going to go on and I was going to get a PhD I was that was I was headed and was just going to do boats for a summer. So if you'd said you're going to be a chef, a writer, a business owner, a sailor, I would have said you are out of your ever-loving mind. I don't know anything about any of those things. I hate writing. I hate it. And um, and so uh, now I do. I mean, so I, I. There are times when I still think I'm not a writer, and then I'm like, okay, stop with that. Yeah. I mean, you are. You write. Yeah. You put words on paper and you tell stories. It's okay to say that about yourself. I still sometimes don't think right. of myself that way. I think that's something even like, like Anthony Bourdain, you know, like I, I actually asked him one time, like when, when was it you decided you were actually a writer now and not a chef? Like when people are like, what do you do? What's your profession? Yeah. Like at what point do you, your brain finally agree with the other things rather than just reverting to, you know. And what did he what say? Uh, I think he said that... It was, um, I remember him saying something about how he, I don't know how we immediately transitioned into how, he, how much he hates cooking brunch. That's where it seemed to, it was something along the lines of like getting away from, oh, it was basically, it was like, you know, he didn't want to, again, talking about the ego and all the overconfidence. He's like, you know, I knew that if I sort of, didn't always remember, you know, at least have in the back of my mind that I'm a cook and that I'm a chef. If I am talking about being a writer, he's like, you know, uh, he's like, I always knew that, like, you know, you never know what's going to happen and that, like, working a Sunday brunch shift could be right around the corner. <laughs> you know, he's like, if I yeah. like, let my ego get, you know, sort right. of get the better of me and start acting like I'm something, right. that this new thing, he just, right. he's like, that's sort of like the hubris that'll, because I was trying to figure out, like, how he got to brunch with that, but that was how it was like. Yeah, I yeah. get that. Um, there's a um, a thing that stuck with me from the really from the very beginning, which is, um, and I can't remember, it might have been in the making of a chef, the book, um, the making of a chef, I think, and it's essentially. Um, is that becoming a chef? Becoming a chef. Yeah, becoming yeah. a chef. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, and he says, um, basically, all I do. What I do all day, I chop vegetables. I, I stand and I cut meat and I chop vegetables. That's what I do. That's all I do. And I think, and he, sa he said, you, you, you have to love just holding your knife and standing there doing that thing. I'm like, wow, I do love those things. And that is exactly what I do all day long. I, I cut things and then I turn them into something that, then I spend some time with it and I turn it into something that's flavorful. But at the core, it and so that's where the lack of like to to say to yourself, basically, I I, I chop stuff, I chop stuff, I chop stuff up. Mm -hmm. No ego there. It's a good. It, that's a good. It's when you it's become a good reminder you go to from yourself that to becoming the artist, right? The ego artiste, can, the artiste. <laughs> then the ego sort of steps right. in. 
Right. It's like, oh yeah, I was hiding that whole time when you were just chopping. Yeah. But here I come. Yeah. <laughs> now right. let's just and actually in Bourdain especially has that and Kitchen Confidentially talks about his phase, long phase of being in that sort of being definitely fueled by a lot of drugs also, but yeah. like the the artiste phase, right. you know. I'm oh that. I'm right. oh, I'm also that. Instead of I just cook stuff and I'm I, I feed people. Um <laughs> that um one of his books, in one of his early books, Anthony Bourdain's, I was um, reading out loud. He was talking about how he he discovered um, at Thanksgiving dinner um, one year that he, at, by being a chef, had become a completely unsociable being. So he's at the dinner table, and he's um, he's he says this fucking turkey is fucking fabulous and there was like dead silence at the dinner table with all of the family family around and and um and he realized at that moment he's just not fit for company any longer and i laughed so hard out loud and then um called carrie altiero and read him yeah. <laughs> read him that passage you can relate to this. Yeah. <laughs> carrie exactly. you have to you have to listen to this yeah yeah. I mean, that's, and that's the kind of thing that he would do that would just resonate with so many people. It's just like, yeah, it's funny to be like, ah, fucking whatever. And people kind of, but that's sort of like when you get in that mentality and you're in that, you're a product of that environment, but you also love that environment. I mean, you can't really turn that off. Right. You know? Right. And you don't really want to. Sometimes you don't. <laughs> he yeah. actually made a whole career out of not turning that off. Right. Exactly. You know? When he'd go out in the world, like you didn't want to see him trying to, be the person that your grandparents would approve of. He was, you know, he wasn't like, um, uh, it wasn't, um, what's the word? Excessive. Okay. (laughs) It wasn't gratuitous. Excuse Mm. me. It wasn't, it wasn't gratuitous. You know, like he wasn't like some people who like, Oh, he's a crazy guy. Like, look at him be crazy out there and watch out. If he's coming, it's going to get crazy in here. He's like, he maintained this, like people would try to make him do that. Yeah. They try to be like, Oh yeah, you want drinks, right? Like here, have a bunch of drinks. And he just always maintained this. Like, no, I mean, yeah, I like to drink, but I mean, I'm not, it's not my person, you know, like that's not really what I am. Like just, it's just, just showing you actually how you should behave right. when you travel around and not, you know, becoming right. a caricature. Right. I think he just um, just tried to be his, just his authentic self. Yeah. Yeah. I think he absolutely, I mean, and right. obviously now it's like after what happened, you know, I mean, it's still, he's still equally as authentic because it's like he's authentic because he had demons like everybody else and it right. just became this, you know, somebody that you everybody in the world I think at some point who was anybody we'd hang out with at some point was like I kind of wish I was him mm-hmm. you know it just felt like he's like one of those people and you don't say that about a lot of people but you're like God, I would definitely mm-hmm. I would I would definitely trade places with him yeah and then it's it was very like human and you know to, to find out that you know there's there's all sorts everybody of things everybody has that. stuff yeah yeah everybody has stuff yeah I don't think there'll ever be anybody else like him. No. In that way. I've never experienced anybody Mm-mm. who has that much nuance to them and, and can and I actually I just I just finished rereading Kitchen Confidential two weeks ago. Uh it's like I have this my copy is just like yellow. Like I think it's just I've probably read it like seven times now, but I hadn't read it for a while. And it's still like it's a style that's so copied, like as far as people trying to be like this is so extreme. The restaurant businesses. You think that's crazy? Well, look what we did. This is crazy. And it's like, we, you know, and it's like, 
he has this thing where he's talking about all this lifestyle stuff, but he, and you don't, but you don't get the feeling that he's just like a exaggerating or like bragging. Like he's certainly proud of it, but it's not this like for show thing. It's like very genuine. Like I just want to talk about the way things are. And he's like, I wrote this book for like other cooks. Yeah. You know, I didn't yep. write this book. He like, he didn't expect that book to be as big as it became. He didn't expect like, you know, these people that you, people that I'd normally never speak to. And all of a sudden they like know all about like kitchen confidential and you know, like everybody read that book. Yeah. You know, I wonder now I, it'll be interesting to, to see, but I wonder now with all of the conversation about wages and the service industry I wonder, I'm curious to see how that will end up changing the industry for like for the better. Like there is an era, I wonder if there'll be an era where that's what used to happen, but that's not what happens now. Oh, that now. is, that's here. Yeah. I mean, that's the reason I don't work in restaurants anymore. Yeah. Because, well, A, I'm like a dinosaur now, but B, it's like, you know, they, it's entirely, I've talked about this in a, a few other episodes with different people who come from front of the house, back of the house, owner, you know, different perspectives. It's like night and day. I mean, that that world that he's talking about. I mean, that world it's he's pretty, talking about. I mean, it's also European as well as. in the city, too. Right, like right, New right. New York City, even then, if you took like Portland, Maine, and New York City in those exact same years, you're going to get very different right. restaurant worlds and right. cultures. But I always liked the thing about restaurants where it was like you sort of, it was a, it was a place where as long as you showed up and did your job, like nobody cared if you were like a drunk or a drug addict or you swore a lot or you're mean or whatever. It was like, and it was kind of like a sink or swim environment where it was always like, you know, if you don't, if you don't like having your feelings hurt, well, you, you always call it, you like, go get a real job. That's how you always, how you talk. You just like, it's always like, yeah, a real job or, or this, right. you know? And I just thought that was, it's just, it was just a place for people to go work and who wanted to be in that environment. And mm-hmm. I don't think you could even find that environment anymore. And if you could, it's like, there's just so many, and with with you know, like the minute somebody does something like that, and somebody records it on their phone and puts it up, and then the whole restaurant's like controversial because one person in the kitchen said something, you know, it, it just can't exist anymore. Just the way the culture is, like, there's right. just too much exposure. There's too much, and then and, and the funny thing is, like, the sort of, I think the ironic thing about it is that it's like that now, and now nobody wants to work in a restaurant. Like all these restaurants, I mean, it's not just COVID because other industries people go back to work, but like restaurants nobody wants to work in them there's a restaurant close to here that was offering a thousand dollar signing bonus for back in front of the house and still and that that ad stayed up like people do not want to work in restaurants anymore and i feel like a lot of it would be the old school people being like i don't like restaurants now and i certainly don't like them a having changed and i don't like it now i have to wear a mask and deal with assholes coming in and being you know yeah but then it's also this like this new the kind of people who you know like and it makes me sad. I don't want to sound like a bad person, but it's like, you know, when you sort of coddle people in, in this environment now, you're getting a very different, you're not getting somebody who literally it's like, okay, I got to do this or I'm in prison or like, this is my only option. This is what I do. I'm like, you know, die hard. You know, you're getting yep. people who's like, oh, that, I tried that job and I think I'll try a different job next time, mm-hmm. you know? And that's why nobody wants to work in a restaurant anymore. That's of course. And that is 100% my opinion, obviously. Right, right. Well, I wonder though... I, I, it's been so long since I've been in uh, an actual restaurant. I mean, I was running my own on the boat for a long time. Um, But I, I don't know. I just liked, 
I hear what you're saying about um, the grittiness of it. And, um, and I thrived in that atmosphere. But once I became the, the one who was setting the tone, it mattered to me that there was um, a more collegial, healthier environment yeah, like that mattered to pants. me like you talked about the guy earlier it's not an attractive look when no tossing yeah pants around. yeah i mean I, I i've definitely been around that and seen that but i when I, once i became in charge of it i didn't want that to be true any longer yeah but i i think i do think that there's a way to create a team and yeah. Um, and still have heart and soul in that. Right, though. there can be grit. It can be gritty, but you can still respect. I mean, there's no another. way to be in a restaurant and have it not be gritty. When you're in the weeds, it's gritty. It's gritty. You know, you're standing next to the stove and it's hot and it's like yep. it, there's no way to. You know, it's either that or you're in the front house dealing with the general public, and we all know how they can be. And it's just like that, which sometimes. And that to me was also it was funny. It was always the trade off. It was like you work in a restaurant, and if you don't want to deal with people, you cook and you make a little less, and your hours are long, but you don't have to deal with people. Or you it's make true. more money, but now you have to deal with the general public, which most cooks, at least I worked with, would be like, I would stab most of those people you work yeah. with. Yeah, there's a there. reason they're in the back of the house. Exactly. Yeah. But now that's all that line also got kind of blurred now, too, where it's like, well, the, the wage equality and the tip out everybody. I don't know. It's just a weird, it's, it's just, I guess, I can't really say better or worse. It's just different. Yeah. You know, if you, I feel like if you really liked the old way, you're not going to like it now. Yeah. Yep. I like both. I liked, I liked, I like, you know what I can say, I think is actually more true. I liked knowing that I survived the old way because yeah. I know that makes me tough, but I liked creating a team in the new, in the kind of newer way, because I know that was a better work environment for everybody that was with us. The old way makes some good stories. Yes, it does. You know, uh -huh. you're like, you know, usually you're not like, oh, you know what I do? I work in a very respectful and controlled kitchen environment. <laughs> Would you like to hear all about it? No one, <laughs> no one yells there. Yeah. <laughs> no books. No, I have yeah. very few stories to tell. We chop vegetables. <laughs> yeah. It went very well, actually. So did somebody get burned? No, we were actually pretty safe about it. We all practiced safe, you know. We... Yeah. Even at the height of service, it was all, it all ran really smoothly. Yeah, it went fine. Oh, were the fine. customers really mean? No. No, they were great. everybody was great. They were yeah. happy. Mm -hmm. I don't, just, <laughs> all right, we're going to do a show. It's going to be, we're going to find out. It's going to be all good news. All the time. Everything went fine. So the dishwashers, you like a degenerate? He shows up like 15 minutes early. Right. And he like actually stays late usually. Yeah, he, he's such he, a good guy. Right. He shops at Sharper Image. He gets these, all these crazy dishwashing tools that we don't know about. He loves to now wash dishes. you're just making stuff yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, I want you to start bringing the Sharper Image into it. I feel like that's actually a uh, a reasonable place to uh, conclude our journey. It was really fun talking with you. I love that you came here. This is yeah. this is amazing, and I'm really excited about the the cookbook, the new book, uh, which is the Tiny Kitchen Cookbook. Which you can't, she won't be on tour, but mm. <laughs> virtually, you can engage with with Annie on that. And I mean, if you don't want to go out and pick this up after just listening to us talk about it. I don't really know. I can't really figure it out. But uh, <laughs> uh, Chef Annie Maley, thank you. Thank you. Very much for being here. Uh, I'm Joe Riccio, and this is the Food Coma Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>